Good morning. We are so glad you're here today. Thank you for coming our way. If you're visiting, we encourage you to come back. We'd love to have you. So very grateful for all that visit our services weekly. We hope and pray that our time together benefits you in your spiritual journey. We're going to be looking at 3 John in just a moment or two. 3 John beginning in verse 1. And the theme of our study this morning is your soul prospering. Before I begin, I do want to say thank you to each and every one of you that work behind the scenes to make the work go so smoothly here. Thank you to those of you that teach in our classes, that are teacher's aides. We appreciate so much each and every good work that's ongoing. Uh, we want to continue to remember our young folks as they prepare for lads. We're appreciative of all that they're doing, their growth, and we pray that they will become great servants down the road, and we're grateful for their service now. In our study today, I want to invite you to the book of 3 John, as I said a moment ago. There are a lot of people in our world today, if you were to ask them, physically speaking, how are you doing? Their response might be, very well. There are others that you might ask this question, how are you doing financially? And again, their response might be, doing very well. But the third question, how are you doing spiritually? That might be a question that brings about some deep thought. That being said, I want to ask you today, from a spiritual vantage point, is your soul prospering in the sight of God? I want to call your attention to 3 John in just a moment. I want us to look at 3 John and look at the life of a fellow by the name of Gaius. And there are a lot of things that we could probably say and even infer about his life. But there is one thing that is absolutely certain. and That is, he was prospering, spiritually speaking. That being said, listen to what the record has to say about this man. The first thing that I want to call your attention to by way of an examination of the text. I want you to think about his riches in Christ. Listen to what John wrote many years ago. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray or wish that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So here was a fellow that we might step back and consider for a moment or two his physical standing in life. And I would assume, based upon what John is saying here, that there was some uncertainty about his physical condition. And then we might also infer that from a financial vantage point, he wasn't doing so well. But the thing that really stands out has to do with his wealth in Christ. His prayer was that Gaius might prosper in all things, even as his soul was prospering. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? Here's a man that obviously had taken care 
of the inward man. Many of us, we spend time exercising and working on the outward man, so to speak. The outward man would be this temporal body that we possess. Nothing wrong with that. Paul would say that bodily exercise profits a little. But you remember he said, Godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So while we all want to fare well in terms of our physical and financial well-being, when it's all said and done, the most important aspect of life is to accentuate the spiritual. Now, there is a correlation in his wealth in Christ and his walk in Christ. You remember he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John had a lot to say about truth, didn't he? You remember back in 1 John chapter 1, John talked about those who walk in the light as he is in the light. He said they have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses from all sin. The idea of walking in the light, what does that mean? What's that all about? Well, it simply means to walk in harmony or in unison with God's Word. You remember Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 31, when He talked about those who abide in His Word. He said, they're my disciples indeed. You can't separate spiritual wealth from the Word of God. You just can't do that. Because really, the Bible is what feeds the soul. Wasn't it Jesus who said many years ago in battling the tempter, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. So God's Word has the ability to strengthen and fortify the life. And the assurance is, as long as we are in step with God's Word, we enjoy His cleansing power. Now, that's not to say we're going to be perfect. We all make mistakes. We all say and do things that we regret. And yet, in light of that, here's what John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The ideal, that is the divine ideal, is that we would rise above sin. Well, why would that be the case? Because as a child of God, we have died to that old way of life. Our life is no longer characterized by a life of sin, habitual sin. But rather we're striving to the best of our ability to stay in cadence with God and His Word. And so John would say in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not. But he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So imagine as a child of God, you stumble and fall. And maybe you need the cleansing power, the blood of Christ, to wash away or to remedy that mistake. Well, the picture is, painted by John, here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is standing before the bar of heaven. And He is pleading our case to the Father, and the basis upon which we're forgiven is His blood. Now, you remember the Hebrew writer said in chapter 9, verse 22, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And yet, as a child of God, to know that we have that cleansing blood 
at work on a daily basis. Now there's a second thought here. First, the riches of Gaius. And then what about his reputation? Now this takes us back again to his walk in Christ. Listen again to what John writes in verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So here were people that were speaking in a positive way. We might say that Gaius received a glowing commendation by brethren. And they were saying, this guy, here's a member of the body of Christ, and he is walking according to the precepts of God, walking in truth. Now that's our goal, isn't it? We want to have that same kind of reputation. Though not perfect, we're trying to live a Christian life. We're trying to walk in the light. We're trying to be a light in a darkened world. We want to be salt that leavening agent for good. So the reputation of Gaius was in many respects stellar. So first and foremost, his walk in Christ again, but then secondly, his work in Christ. Look at verse 5. John said, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, he said, you do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might become fellow workers of the truth. And so I think what John is saying here is that not only did he have the reputation of walking in Christ, but he had the reputation as a worker in the kingdom of Christ. Now, apparently there were those who were involved in missionary endeavors. And Gaius, to the best of his ability, was providing some type of hospitality to these people. And so as a result of that, there were those that were bearing witness of his love for the church. In other words, he understood that these people were servants of God, and that he could in some small measure minister to their needs. Now you remember in Titus chapter, well in Titus chapter 3, at verse 1, when Paul said, be ready unto every good work. He had already prefaced that by talking about God's grace had been lavished upon the human family. And because of that grace and our obedience to the gospel, we are to live a life that is controlled by God and His Word. But down in verse 14, he said we are to be zealous for good works. The picture I have of Gaius is simply this. Here's a guy that financially, physically may not have been doing so well, but here's a guy that has the mindset, I'm going to do whatever I can to advance the cause of Christ. I'm going to try to do my part to help the cause go forward. Now, that being said, what are some things that we could take away from what John said about Gaius? 
How is it that we, as children of God, living in the 21st century, how can we say, when it comes to our soul, all is well? In other words, we're in great shape. You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 taught some very basic, fundamental truths that pertain to those who would be His disciples. One of the great lessons was to lay up for ourselves treasures where? Not on earth, but in heaven. In the book of Revelation in chapter 2, the Lord Jesus is serving the seven churches of Asia in chapters 2 and 3. But in chapter 2, He places the church at Smyrna under His divine microscope. And He said, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. But then parenthetically, here's what He says. But you are rich. If you were to describe your relationship to the Lord, your walk in Christ, would you say that you're rich in Christ? In Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing resides in one place. So what's the point? If you are in Christ, you are incredibly wealthy. You may not know that, but you are. And you know why that is? Because you have the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus keeping you pardoned from sin. And the only way that we can enjoy forgiveness is through that cleansing blood. And then not only do we have pardon from God, but we enjoy the peace of God. There are people in our world today, they're not at peace. They don't have that sense of calmness, but rather in their mind, they're bearing the load of guilt and shame. We might say the stain and the shame of sin. And yet Paul would say that those of us who have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And you remember Paul would say that those of us who are in Christ, we have not only peace with God, we enjoy the peace of God that passes all understanding. And then we enjoy His presence wherever we go. What's the old song, Anywhere with Jesus I Can Safely Go? So we have pardon from sin, we have peace, we have His presence, we have the assurance that He hears our prayers. And then most of all, we know that we have the hope of life eternal. So why would we want to throw away our riches in Christ for what the world has to offer? One of the things that really ought to stand out, leap out off the page in Hebrews chapter 11, as it relates to the life of Moses. And you think about Moses growing up in the household of Pharaoh, a man that was steeped in wisdom that came from that way of Egyptian life. And yet the Bible says that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You've got to make a choice. Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So how then can I ensure that my soul is where it ought to be, that I'm prospering spiritually. Well, number one, I submit to you we need to associate 
with the right kind of people. Now look, we live in the world. And many times we work in situations that call for us to be around people that are in the world. Nothing wrong with that. But we do not want to allow the world to encroach upon our spiritual life. I have been in the corporate world, as many of you are. And I have had to be around people at various functions when alcohol was served. I didn't drink, but everybody else was. Did I like that? No, not at all. But because of the nature of my job, I had to, I had to be at these functions. Well, what I'm saying is we ought to limit our exposure to people in the world from the vantage point that their influence does not rub off on us. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you remember the, the Apostle Paul is making the case for the resurrection of Jesus. And basically, in that chapter, he identifies eyewitnesses, those who had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. They could verify it. And then he points out, look, if the resurrection, if it's not a reality, then we're wasting our time. Our faith is vain. Our preaching is vain. We're still in sin. As he would say, we are of all men most pitiable. And so down in verse 32, listen to what Paul said. If the dead are not raised, were there people that were questioning the resurrection? Yes. Were there people that really didn't believe that Jesus had come forth from the tomb on the third day? So Paul said, look, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we perish. Now what if in the first century you had been associating with people day in and day out that didn't believe in the resurrection? And you finally decided, you know what? This life is all there is. There's nothing on the other side. There's not even another side. So what we need to do, what I need to do, eat and drink, live it up. Enjoy life. I mean, after all, when this life's over, it's over. And so Paul said, be not deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. The people that we associate with, if our closest friends are in the world, there's a real danger that we begin acting and thinking like they do. So we have to guard our spiritual life. We have to guard our soul. And many of us, we lock our doors because we want to be safe. We put our money in a safe again because we don't want somebody to steal it. We exercise a lot of caution in many, many areas of life. But how sad sometimes that we throw our spiritual life to the wind and fail to understand that the people that we associate with, if we're not careful, can lead us down a road from which we may not recover. Years ago, I remember an older fellow saying to me about another individual that I knew, 
He said, he's running with a bad crowd. You run with a bad crowd. You run with the devil's people. Don't be surprised when you start acting like the devil and his people. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Listen to what Solomon said. Solomon renowned for his wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 1 at verse 10, Solomon said, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. He goes on to say, The righteous should choose his friends carefully. He that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Sometimes we have the idea that we're Teflon. Nobody can, nobody can impact us. Nobody can influence us for wrong. Well, that's not always the case. You remember Demas? What was it that caused Demas to lose his faith? The world. So if we're associating with people in the world, is it not the case that maybe their lifestyle could rub off on us? Sure. John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. And the reason is because the world's passing away. So the people that we associate with, go back and look at Acts 2, verse 42. You've got all these people that are obeying the gospel. Some 3,000 people became children of God in the first century. In verse 42, Luke said, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, now note, and in fellowship. They spent time together, didn't they? They tried to associate with, as Peter said, people of like precious faith. I wonder why that is. I wonder why that was the case. Because if I'm associating with people that think like I do, that act like I do, it's going to positively impact my life and my relationship to the Lord. Now, there's a second thought here. It has to do with our practices. A minute ago, I said that there's a correlation between our wealth in Christ and our walk in Christ. Now, John said that he rejoiced because there were those that were acknowledging the fact that Gaius was walking in the truth. And you remember he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So if there's this correlation there, wouldn't it stand to reason that I want to spend time in this book? Think about it like this. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example, isn't he? Didn't Peter say that we have an example that we should follow in his steps, that being Christ? Didn't Paul say, be followers of me, be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. So I'm trying to imitate the life of Christ. So I, I don't have the luxury of going to a particular place and sitting down and listening to Jesus talk. I don't have the luxury of seeing Him visibly with my eyes. But I can still sit down and study the life of Jesus. I can see His work through the pages of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John provide us with a biographical sketch of the life of Jesus. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John had been apprehended, called before the Sanhedrin council? And the Bible tells us that those who were a part of that council, 
But they said, these men are untrained, uneducated. In other words, they had not been to any type of rabbinical school. They had not sat at the feet of a Gamaliel. They weren't in the same class as a Nicodemus who was identified as a ruler of the Jews. But rather the Bible says they did take knowledge of one fact. And you know what that was? They had been with Jesus. You want to be more like Jesus? You want to make decisions that will help you and bless you in this life? Then you have the opportunity, the luxury of sitting down every single day and reading about Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the more Christ-like you're going to become. But that has to become a way of life. Now, are we going to measure up every day? Of course not. There's only one perfect being that I know of, and that was Jesus. And I'm far from that. But I can try to the best of my ability to walk in His footsteps, to try to think like Jesus thought in the first century to act like Jesus acted in the first century. I mean, it, it would only stand to reason that if I'm going to be Christ-like in my life, I've got to spend time with the Lord. Now, if I do that, will it bless my life? Sure. Will it enable me to grow spiritually, to become a person of wealth? Yes but we got to spend time in His Word. As the psalmist said, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. The Bible says in Psalm 1 that the ancient man of God meditated on the law of Jehovah and he did that day and night. So what about you? There's a third possibility. and That is we spend time in prayer. Go back and just spend some time reading about the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus was sinless. And Jesus, the whole tenor of His life was about pleasing the Father. And yet here's the Son of God, the one who emptied Himself, came to earth, robed in human flesh, the God-man, and what's He doing? Time and again we see Him on His knees praying to the Father. Now you remember what Jesus said in Luke 18 verse 1? that men ought to always pray and not faint or grow discouraged. How did Jesus offset the difficulties and the troubles that often surrounded Him throughout His ministry? One of the things He did, He spent a lot of time on His knees praying to God. Paul would say, continue steadfastly in prayer or pray without ceasing. And the idea is that we spend time in prayer to God. Now, very quickly, there's one other thought I would share with you. It has to do with our passions in life. What do you enjoy doing more than anything else? I mean, if I were to ask you, what is it that makes you get up in the, in, in the morning? What is it that really just gets you excited? I mean, this is what I love to do. Well, there's nothing wrong with enjoying secular things as long as we do not allow those secular things to encroach upon our spiritual life. 
But you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If we, in our heart of hearts, determine, you know what, I'm going to seek the Lord, I'm going to seek His kingdom, I'm going to put Him before anything else, will your soul prosper? You know what the answer is? Yes, yes, yes. So I want to close today by asking this question. Is your soul prospering? The beauty of Christianity is it is an individual thing. Now, collectively, we're a part of the same body. We are a body of believers. You control the prosperity or lack thereof of your soul. The old expression, the ball's in your court. It's up to you to determine how well your soul prospers. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to come to Christ. Jesus paid the ultimate price for sin. And if you want to become one of His followers, if you want to be one of His disciples, you've got to obey the gospel. Do as they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized. The Bible says the Lord will add you to the church. Acts 2 verse 47. The exhortation is to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let me just make this observation very quickly in closing. This past Sunday, one of our treasured members had a medical emergency. We had no idea that she wouldn't be here today. Her family's here, but she's gone. Now, she was here worshiping God with us in the very presence of God in worship. But just a few hours later, she was literally in the presence of God. As Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now I want to ask you a question. Can you think of any better way to leave this world than among the people of God to be in the presence of God and then to literally be ushered before Him? I'm grateful for her life. And I'm grateful that she has gone to a better place. And the reason she's gone to a better place is because her soul prospered as she lived. Two weeks ago, I watched as she served in the back, worked in the back, using a walker, preparing a meal for the church here. Thank God for faithfulness. And for the fact that when we leave this world as one of His children, that He'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Won't you come as we stand and sing?